to Disorderly Dogs, the podcast for dog owners. If you find yourself in precarious predicaments with your dog, this podcast is for you. I'm Rachel Harris. I'm a certified professional dog trainer, and I hope to give you a fresh outlook on your dog's behavior and practical dog training advice. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Disorderly Dogs, the podcast. I'm here with a lovely human being who is part of my Reactive Redefined course, and she is going to share her experience um, inside the course today. So Amy, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about you, where you are. Um, My name is Amy. Uh, I found Rachel on Instagram. I have a little mini dachshund named Miles. And we live on the Oregon coast. Yes. Oh, my God. And Miles is so freaking cute. Everyone's going to have to follow you on Instagram so they can see his cute little face. He's so cute. But although he's very cute, he has been challenging in a lot of ways behaviorally for you to tackle. So can you tell everybody a little bit more just about Miles, right, and, and, and his reactivity, what he's reactive to? Yeah, um, Miles is a challenge because he's this 10 little, he's a 10 pound dog. He's this tiny little thing and he's a dachshund. So people are really drawn to him. They see his coloration. They want to see him. They want to pet him. And um, that is challenging for him because any sudden quick movements towards him is scary. Um, And I guess the biggest challenges for him are anything larger than himself, which is everything. (laughs) And, um, and, you know, I think he has a pretty strong prey drive, which is probably has to do with the breed, you know, they're bred to go and chase critters and holes. So that's probably where that comes from. Um, But he really struggles with dogs and people. Um, because they're the most unpredictable. It's like when I can't predict your movement, that is really scary to him. Yeah. So, okay. So, so how old is Miles now? Oh gosh, he's 22 months. So he's almost two years and then I can stop saying months. (laughs) (laughs) Almost two years. Okay. So I think, um, I want to hear just a little bit more about like, about like the timeline. So how old was he when you got him? He was three months, so he was uh, exactly 13 weeks when we picked him up, um, which unfortunately I learned after the fact that we missed a big critical part of his socialization period. Um, And he's also saying hello in case you didn't hear that. (laughs) Miles, come here. Um, We got him at 13 weeks and I should have noticed from the first time um, that we met him, that he was a little trembly, you know, but I got caught up in the, oh my gosh, I'm getting a baby. And, you know, this woman puts this adorable little dog in my arms. And even though he's trembling, it's like, well, you're mine, you're my dog. And, um, you know, we went home and nothing was out of the ordinary until probably, gosh, maybe like when he hit, four months, I started noticing like that he notices things. So he would look in the sky at birds and planes, like he would watch planes fly by. And, um, 
any little sound he would like look at it or even you know they always say when you're raising a puppy you know expose them to all the noises in your house and I just went about my day but he was very sensitive he was a very light sleeper and those were probably the early signs of the fearful behaviors that aren't noticeable when they're young and cute and playful and um but the reactivity started one well we, we, I would try to take him on walks so he could see the world, you know, the socialization. And he struggled with like seeing people. He never really liked that, but he was okay. He didn't bark. He didn't like freak out. He just didn't want to be pet, but he loved seeing dogs. He would see a dog and he would just light up. Um, and so one day at about four and a half months, our neighbor was walking their dog down our street and I was out there with Miles and she said oh can they meet and I said sure and Miles is so excited to see this dog he's just like oh my gosh this is the best part of my day he runs up to the dog and is um, a Maltese which not all Maltese are barkers but this one was a chatty one and barked in his face and Miles stepped back and made a confused face and then realized he was scared and he barked like crazy at her. And that was the day everything changed. Yeah. And it's so hard, right? Because like, you know, to your point, right? You have this beautiful little puppy in your hands and like, you don't want to assume the worst. You want to believe that like you have this fresh slate to start from, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's, it's incredibly challenging. And I think a lot of people listening will really resonate with this, right? Where, our dogs can be so sensitive to a, a degree that one incident like that, especially in that age range, really molds and shapes their future behavior. Yeah, and I do think a lot of it has to do with their early life, their genetics. Um, because, yeah, maybe if that dog, dog didn't bark at him, he would have had a positive experience. But what if the next dog did? And so... Yeah. Um, he sees a vet behaviorist who suspects it's more genetics, but also prior socialization to me um, from when, prior to when I acquired him. Right. Um, and because those early weeks are so important, those are the weeks they need to hear all the noises in your house. And, you know, even from zero to eight weeks, they need to see people, even if they don't touch them or they need to see a dog in the distance. Um, those little critical things, they seem so small and insignificant to us, but those are foundational steps to having a pet dog, <laughs> you know? Right. And, 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 you know, it, it, it doesn't seem significant then, but then you have a dog who is an adult and struggles and you realize, right, that like those moments, he didn't get those positive associations. So did you know anything about his mother or father, like behaviorally speaking? not really no and that was part of the thing too is it was my first dog from a breeder my previous dog was a rescue and he's older and i really wanted to get him a puppy because i didn't he was kind of strange about adult dogs in his household and so i felt like a puppy added into our household would allow him to kind of determine the dynamic of our home um 
And so that was the goal with seeing a breeder. I also, we were living full time in an RV at the time. So we couldn't get a surprise puppy where, oh, it's going to be really small. And then it grew up to be a hundred pounds. That was, (laughs) there was a specific size requirement because we had a very small living space. Um, And I thought I was doing all the right things, finding a quality breeder. And, you know, she says, oh, we socialize the dog. And I didn't understand what socialized means. I said, oh, that sounds great. I didn't know that there was a critical socialization period of 20 weeks, you know? So those, all of those things that you learn after the fact, you look back and go, man, I wish I knew. But on the other hand, I'm grateful we got Miles because where would he be if it weren't for us? Um, but, you know, I didn't know about the parents. I had pictures of the parents and, you know, she, the woman seemed nice, but you know, upon our picking him up, I asked to see the parents and she had a, several outside kennels with like these cool little shed houses. And that's when I realized she was a lot bigger of a breeder than I thought. Um, and that probably would have been my clue because if a breeder has so many dogs, they can't live in the house. So you have to con- weigh the pros and cons. Do all breeders have problems when they have lots of dogs? No. But I think it's harder to, it's harder to notice the little signs that lead to these kind of future problems for owners. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, um, I'm all for breeders, right? Like, I think that there are some amazing breeders who are doing amazing things in their programs. But, you know, I think that puppies are so freaking sensitive, right? And like that critical socialization window, like, if the breeder isn't paying really close attention and knows each individual puppy, like it's so much more than just like socializing a litter of puppies, right? Like there's so much variation in personality in the litters that like, you know, it requires so much from the breeder and you know, it's like we live, we learn, right? Like we get a dog from that person again, maybe not. Right. But (laughs) (laughs) right. I, the time comes if I decide to get another dog, I kind of have a better idea of what I'm going to be looking for, you know, um, based on my experience. And I hope that my experience helps someone else who maybe is considering another dog. Um, it's a challenge. There are a lot of people out there who breed, but you want to find the one who's going to pay that extra attention, who's not going to make you decide on a puppy based on their personality at day two of their, after they've been born, you know, for example. So those kinds of things are important things to consider, especially figuring out the dynamic of your household. What kind of personality do you need? What kind of personality fits your other dogs or cats or whatever animals you might have? There's a lot to think about. Yeah. And I think that, you know, this is something that I can really relate to, right? Because I had a dog who could be reactive, who could be aggressive. And I made a lot of different decisions when I chose Waylon's breeder right? Like, and I really asked a lot of questions about temperament because I wanted to know, you know, and obviously there's no 100% guarantee with temperament ever, but you know, his breeder, you know, I asked about puppies and she's like, okay, well I'm letting people pick genders, but I will choose which puppy I think will fit your needs the most. And I had so much respect for that. You know, she didn't just let people choose puppies based on looks. It was very much about, okay, you can choose a gender, but tell me what you want from this dog and I will match you with the appropriate personality and puppy. I love that because then you're finding a home that's going to fit for the long term. You're not finding a home just because I think that dog is cute because 
there are a lot of cute dogs. <laughs> and, you know, that's part of our problem in the world. We have lots of cute dogs, but does that dog mesh with you? In the same way that, you know, you don't make friends with all the people in your neighborhood, yeah. all the dogs that come into your life might not be the best dog for you or for your house or for your pets. Um, it's so much to consider. For us, dogs are a part of our family. You know, we don't have children. We don't plan to have children. So to us, these are our children. And so it's important that they are a part of our family unit. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So fast forward, right? Miles is a little bit older. So, um, you know, I want to just give you so much credit because you already had a lot of good stuff in motion before we worked together in Reactive Redefined, right? So you already had a veterinary behaviorist on board. You were already working with someone, uh, a trainer in person. So you had a foundation. So can you tell the listeners just a little bit about what that looked like before you joined Reactive Redefined? Oh, sure. It was a lot of work over... A, probably a year by the time it was probably a year from when we started doing things until I met you um, virtually <laughs> and we started off with you know at first I thought this isn't a big deal he just got scared because he still wanted to go on outings he was still fine and we didn't think anything of it but as time went on he started doing weird things you know we lived at that time we were on an island so the fairies would you know, go by the island and he would bark at the boats. And it was like the weirdest thing, you know, he's in the car, he looks out the window, he barks at the boats, he barks at the people and it just kept building up. Um, and finally, one time we took a trip and I tried to take him on a little walk in, on a, on a hike in Portland. And <laughs> can you see him crawling? <laughs> and it was a really crowded day. There were so many people, so many dogs, and he had a meltdown. And I had never seen anything like this. And it caused me great stress because I'm here's my little kid losing his mind and could not understand. And poor Cooper, our other dog, he's just like, let's go. I want to meet all these dogs. And so this was very foreign to me. You know, I worked as a vet tech for years and I saw dogs that would come in like this, but a lot of people, they, re they resolve the dog to live in their backyard for the rest of its life or whatever. So I had never seen one, like I had never had one. So I think it was that day I just started calling people. I was like, can you help me with my dog? And, um, I found a trainer that was near the island and I had to take a ferry to go see her and it was a it was like a six hour ordeal just to spend one hour with her but I wanted to help my dog um and she was wonderful and I probably discredited her a little because I didn't have a true understanding of the lots of foundational things you have gone over in your reactive redefined course like the look at that the um, treats on the ground and you know she taught me about classical conditioning versus you know operative and um, but for me at that time as such a like I never had to do dog training before you know I had a dog that did sit and you know nothing else he knew how to sit and stay you know <laughs> Um, I never needed to teach him anything. So this, the whole concept was foreign to me. And 
I ended up finding, you know, like a Reddit page called Reactive Dogs, and I found like groups on Facebook, and I just joined everything. I found Fenzi and took classes, and um, and I worked with her for six weeks, and then we hit the road, and Miles was doing amazing. It was like, oh, we're we're gonna have that dog that we always dreamed of. Oh, he's doing great, and you know, we were doing the classical conditioning where he would look at something and you would feed, feed, feed. And it was amazing. We'd do emergency U-turns if things came too close and we just thought we fixed it all. No problem. Well, come about seven and a half, eight months, we had an experience at an RV park where somebody really wanted to meet Miles. And I knew he wasn't yet ready. But I was not an advocate for Miles because this was one of our neighbors. He was being very friendly. He came and approached and Miles started barking. And I didn't defend Miles. And this is something I will regret probably for the rest of my life. Um, I should have said, you know, now's not a good time. Let me take Miles into the RV and I'll be back. But I didn't. And he reached his hand forward towards Miles' face. And one of the things we've learned about Miles is anything oncoming to him, coming towards his face, is scary because it's like, oh, I'm coming at you. You know, the big scary wow. spider coming to your face. And the hand kept reaching and Miles is losing it. And he, I don't think he wanted to bite him and he didn't bite him, but there was a line that was almost crossed. Right. And that day I was destroyed. I spent the entire day in the RV crying because I felt like I ruined him, you know, and oh, I'm getting almost teary eyed about it, thinking about it now. Um, that day I reached out to two different behaviorists in the local area. And we actually ended up moving to this area partially <laughs> because we wanted to work with a behaviorist. Yeah. Uh, and I met the behaviorist, I think a week or two later, we took him on like outings. She taught me some things like the U-turn and, and then it just kept going from there. I called the vet behaviorist and, you know, we had an appointment for a few months from there and, you know, he kept getting worse, but he got on medication and that became a whole new thing. And it, it's been a struggle. And by the time I think I joined your class. It wasn't that I didn't know what to do. It wasn't that, you know, um, I didn't have him on medication that was appropriate for him, but it was about needing that support of other people and having one-on-one -on -one sessions, not necessarily one-on-one -on -one sessions, but if I had gone the route of one-on-one -on -one sessions with you, having somebody who understands what I'm going through and can say, Hey, have you tried this? Hey, this worked for us. Um, those factors made a big difference for us because it also held us accountable. It said, hey, maybe you can take a few steps further out. Did you try this? You know, because I tend to really hide in that comfort zone. Well, this spot works for us. We'll stay here. And I needed that little push to just get us a little further. And my number one goal in joining your class was just to get him to stop barking at things that he smells that I couldn't see. And, you know, and like trying to adapt the tools that I've learned previously and gone back over with you, how can I make those tools work when this item that he's reacting to is invisible? 
Yeah. And I remember our first one-on-one call, right? And like, I remember hearing from you and, and being really clear, like she, she understands how all of this works, right? It's not that you were unaware of like what you needed to do, but I think that there's, there's a crippling element to owning a dog who struggles to the capacity that Miles does, right? Because it's, the incremental progress is just that it's incremental, right? Like you're not making gigantic strides with him per se sometimes. And I think that, you know, that was a huge motivator for me in reactive redefined, right? Was like, let's get everyone together and let's talk about how freaking stressful and overwhelming it is. And I think that in the group calls, that's really where a lot of the value is, right? Like not from me per se, right? Like I'm there, I guide the conversation, but it's so much more about like allowing you guys to be real about like today sucked, right? Tomorrow will be better, but today sucked and I know y'all get it. Yeah. And you know, I think a lot of it too is like, well, why did today suck for you? And then the next week it was like, well, this week sucked for me. Hey, I remember your week sucked. Mine was similar. Oh my gosh, maybe we had something in common here. Um, I think we, I don't remember her name. I feel terrible not remembering because I'm on the spot here. But um, there was another person who I think I was talking about. Miles had an ear infection one week and he was a wreck. And I was like, what's going on? You know, and I know that the training isn't linear, but it felt like so sudden. And when I realized he had an ear infection, all of a sudden, you know, we treated it and all of a sudden we were back where we were. And I think that day I talked about that, the chat box got filled with, oh my gosh, when my dog has an ear infection. And um, it's weird things like that, you know, they're so sensitive as it is that to even have the slightest health thing can be huge to them. You know, Miles had a couple weeks ago, Miles was being weird again. And I was like, what's going on? What's going on? He had a thorn in his paw that I don't know how long he had it for. And it's like, well, you know, how would I know? You didn't like limp. So I had to take this thorn out of his paw. And then within a day or two, he was fine. So it's, it's the tiniest thing when they're already sensitive that yes. can impact their ability to handle challenges in life. And it's silly, you know, it's just having that connection with other people to understand where you're coming from, to relate, to even comment on and say, hey, have you tried this, has been really valuable because no no discredit to anybody who doesn't have a reactive dog, but a lot of their suggestions don't work for a dog that has these special needs. So finding somehow to connect with other people might lead you to those tips that are really valuable. And even just yesterday or the day before, somebody in the group was talking about um, how life-changing it was for them to just throw the treats on the ground rather than, you know, hand it to them. And that's big for Miles too, because he's not food motivated regarding training. Right. Um, He's very picky eater. So Sometimes he loves hot dogs and the next day he won't, or at 5 p.m. he likes them, but at 8 p.m. he doesn't, you know, and I don't know. I can't switch it up all the time. I end up wasting food and I can't handle wasting food. So it's um, (laughs) very challenging for me. And, you know, the lick pouches, I want those to work, but they don't work for him. But you know what? Even if he doesn't want the hot dog, if I throw it on the ground, he's going to check it out. And as you told us that one week, who I talked to my behaviorist and she confirmed 
about throwing treats on the ground brings the head down and brings down the heart rate. And it's true. I mean, even though he might still react when he lifts his head up, it gives him a moment of pause. Because when he gets stuck in his feelings, that's when it's hard to break out. You know, so a lot of times I try to pay attention to his body language. And I'll try to before that edge is when I respond by treats on the ground or treat in your face or hey, let's go this way. And um, and being proactive and paying attention to that can help him. Yeah. And I think, you know, to your point, like the goal was always to create a safe space where people could give applicable advice. And I think that, you know, I think that every person listening right now who is a reactive dog is part of those, those dog training groups, right? Where like you ask for something and they give advice. You're like, okay, well, clearly you don't understand my dog. You know what I mean? And I really, I wanted that, right? And I think that the Facebook group is still such a vibrant place of wonderful sharing of information, you know? And like, I try and be there to support, but honestly, when I look at threats, I'm like, okay, well, you all figured that out. So I don't need to say anything. (laughs) That's to your credit though. You taught us well. (laughs) Um, Yes. And it's been really, it's... I don't know. It's hard to describe because, you know, you don't want to say like a group of people solves all your problems. It certainly doesn't. Just having somebody who knows what you're dealing with and you feel listened to. Whereas when you're not in a supportive environment that way, it can feel really lonely. And that lonely feeling can make you lose your motivation. And, and that's part of why I joined your group, you know, um, coronavirus happened, couldn't go anywhere. We didn't feel comfortable working with our trainer at that time. And so it put us in this lull of like feeling like we weren't moving forward. Um, And I didn't want to live my life like that. I felt like, well, now's a great time to work on something, you know, nobody's going to work. And um, it was a really valuable time for us to be able to get support, even if it was virtually. Uh, just feel, and also it was safer for him too, because somebody wasn't in his house. (laughs) So so it was great being able to chat with a group of people without having my reactive dog losing his mind over it, Um, or him sitting in the car waiting and knowing that I couldn't do it in the summertime. Um, You know, it's, it's very interesting how I think reactive dog work online is probably really beneficial for reactive pups. Not to say that in-person courses don't work, but it wouldn't work for someone like Miles. Yeah. And, you know, I think that over the years, right, I have been fortunate enough to be invited into hundreds of people's homes who own reactive dogs. And I have learned so much from them, but I felt like I I had this skill set that I felt like I could translate and communicate in a different way. And like, you know, to your point about Miles, like many of the dogs who I have been a part of their training journeys, it really was cumbersome that I was there, you know, because I felt like the owners couldn't truly engage and be present because they were so worried about what was happening with the dog, you know, and I felt like in this way, we were able to meet and celebrate your wins and, and troubleshoot your challenges. And you got to be an emotional space where you weren't worried about what Miles was doing. You were able just to be present and, and connect with people. 
Yeah, the only thing I was worried about was if Miles was going to take a nap during our call or not. <laughs> like right now, he's shuffling around, playing with his toy. He's really happy. I think maybe he missed you. <laughs> he's like, oh, I know that voice. Now's a great time to go play. Naturally, um, naturally. But yeah, it's, you know, and that's the hardest part, you know, with his behaviorist. We, the goal with her, I paid for many sessions just for him to like her. Um, and that can be hard for some people who maybe can't afford to do something like that. You know, um, spending several hundred dollars just to get your dog to like a person can be hard. You know, it obviously has an impact on him to be able to have a new person in his life and accept him. And that was the goal was for him to learn to like a new person and learn that we can tell him that a new person is okay. Um, but for somebody who maybe is not in that position, having the ability to work on something without that factor is also helpful. So we've been fortunate to be able to mix in all of these elements and try and benefit from it as much as possible. But for a lot of people, having a support group that they can meet from the comfort of their own home is a big deal. Yeah. And you know, I love so much how reactive redefine has just complemented what you already had in place. Right. And like, so, okay, so let's fast forward to, so post reactive redefine. So can you tell the listeners like, um, because I know before reactive redefined, you weren't getting miles out a ton just because there was so much reacting and it was just like a lot. So during Reactive Redefined, I was so pleased to see you sharing, like going more places and feeling like, all right, we know what to do. We're going to do this. We're going to get out. So can you tell everybody where you guys are at now? Yeah, um, we did backslide a little and I realized that part of it was I lost a little bit of consistency, but I was able to like wake myself up out of it. And part of it had to do with his pickiness with food. He didn't want to touch his food. He was like, no way. I don't want that treat. And so then I stopped bringing treats outside. Oh, he's doing fine. He's doing fine. And he took several steps back. But we've been picked. All we did was we just picked right back up. I said, all right, put the treats in. Find something he likes today and go from there. And it's been great. You know, we take him on hikes where we don't see people. But we do take him to the people um you know before we used to there's a secluded beach that we go to where you don't see very many people and we're very lucky to have this location where it's one parking spot we used to get out of the car and if we saw people we would say no way and come back in the car and leave and he would just be destroyed because he wanted to go to the beach now we say there's a person over there let's just go that way instead and there's been times where he's playing with his ball, running around, and he watches people walking across the beach and does nothing because he's learned as long as they're not coming to me, I'm still having fun. I'm still enjoying my time. And he makes decisions on his own. He says, what do I want to do? Do I want to yell at this person or do I want to keep playing with my ball? And then when he looks at us, we throw his ball, you know, and we give him the opportunity to make a decision, but we also pay attention to his body language to see, is he over threshold yet or not? Because if he starts to be over threshold, we make that decision for him. 
because he gets stuck in his feelings. If he gets the opportunity to think too much about it, he makes the decision that the fearful thing is stronger than the drive to play. So it's been really great. I mean, certainly we're not going on, we're not at the point where we're going on a walk in my neighborhood, but that's okay. We just wanted to be able to go to the beach or to a hike where maybe one or two people are there and he doesn't lose it. So it's been, it's been great. Um, we've been really pleased. The other thing was I wanted to be able to have him play in our yard without losing his mind if somebody walks by and he still has his moments, you know, especially with the scent. It's when he's playing and he smells something, but he's been more responsive that even if he does bark, I can take him away from that and show him, hey, it's safe over here. And he accepts and understands that rather than continuing to bark, lunge, pull. So it's been really great. Um, you know, now we play in the yard every day when before we couldn't even play in the yard because he would smell something and, you know, five minutes later, a person would walk by. I don't know how he does that, but he does. <laughs> um, he doesn't get stuck in that period of, oh gosh, that scary thing is still coming. Instead, he says, hey, I want to keep playing with my ball. And so now we play every day in the yard and it's great. That's so beautiful. And what a wonderful way to use his motivation to play with the ball to help confirm some of those associations, right? That like you are safe, like no one is coming into your space if you don't want that, right? And I think, um, I think that a lot of people listening with little dogs probably can share some of the like not super motivated, food motivated sentiment. I think that the tiny dogs and the tiny bellies, it can be a little bit more challenging, right? Than your medium sized dog who will just eat anything under the sun. So I love how you very strategically use the ball and play as an amazing reinforcer. Yeah, and sometimes I'll even use both in the same context. So yesterday we were playing in the yard, and um, our yard is unfenced, as you remember, but we are getting a fence, knock on wood, next week. <laughs> um, but the he's on a long line when he plays, and he'll play and play, and then he catches a scent, because he's a scent hound. That's what he's for. That's what he was bred for, was to smell things. and one thing we noticed is he'll be playing and playing and then he'll stop with the ball in his mouth and he'll start walking with like determination and saying wait there's something over here i'm worried about and so that's when i take notice and i follow him and what he'll do is you know he'll think about reacting he'll think about i want to bark at this i want to freak out at this and so if he has his ball with him I just throw the treats on the ground and I have it on cue. It doesn't need to be on cue, but I have it on cue. I say it and he'll put down the ball, get the treats. And then I pick up the ball and I throw it. And he's so happy because he's now had this opportunity where I was really scared of this thing, but a lot of really good things just happen. So it's become rewarding for him. And we get a lot more of those automatic check-ins where it's not every time, but sometimes he'll catch a smell, and I don't know, I can't smell it, but he'll catch a smell and he'll look at me, and so I try to reward that because 
I don't know what it is he's afraid of. Um, and that's probably the most challenging thing, but I just try to reward him every time he checks in with me, treat on the ground, praise, throw his ball, whatever it is I have available to me in that moment, click the clicker, anything. <laughs> and it helps. It helps quite a bit. That's amazing. I'm so glad to hear it. Okay. So Amy, I want to kind of wrap it up here. So I, I want to hear it. What do you want to share some advice for the other people listening who have reactive dogs? Um, probably don't be afraid to cry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a big crier and you know, it for a very long time, I didn't accept that I had a reactive dog. I did all the things I did all the learning, but I never wanted anyone to know. And I have to admit doing this podcast is one of those like, oh gosh, I'm admitting it in public, you know, <laughs> even though none of, probably there's a good chance no one knows me who's listening to this, but it's like that, oh gosh, it's the final decision that I have a reactive dog. But I think that the sooner you can accept that you have a reactive dog and that you know and trust that you know what to do to help them, even if you don't know in that moment, you know where to go or you know how to use Google, you know, anything. As long as you can trust that you can handle it, you can. Um, and I tend to be a very anxious person. I tend to be a worrier. And if I can do it, you can do it. You know, it's yes. like, even though everyone says that, it's true. It's true. Um, it does require training and patience and recognizing that there are ups and downs. If you were having a good week and next week's not good, just take a moment and evaluate. What happened? Is, are they good health-wise? You know, during the reactive redefine, remember we discovered that mild, mild had elevated liver levels. And, right. you know, we changed, it, we changed the doses of his medication. And we discovered that less medication was better for him than more. Um, or we discovered he had an ear infection. You know, it's like, take a look at everything that could be a possibility. Even if you think you're overthinking it, there's, it's worth investigating. And I guess the biggest thing is try to reach out to someone, even if it's a friend who has no idea what they're talking about or, and try to find maybe groups or trainers who are experienced in working with dogs that have these, their reactivity is usually fearfully based, not always, but somebody who has some experience working with a dog who might be fearful or might be experiencing some sort of emotional dysregulation and just accepting that it's okay how can you make this work in your life those would probably be my biggest pieces of advice oh and don't be afraid to throw food on the ground I promise <laughs> throwing food on the ground at least will get their eyes off the scary thing for five seconds to get their focus back on you a little bit oh my god yes <laughs> yes and you're so wise you know what I mean like you really stepped up to the plate for miles and I have so much admiration for for how you show up for him um and how you advocate for him I think that um I love that he is serenading us first and foremost. Oh, like, gosh. hey, Miles, what's up, buddy? He's so, <laughs> he's so mad that I'm not giving him attention. Normally, he naps during this time, and that's why we scheduled this time, but he's not happy about it. He wants me to be out in the living room with him. So fortunately, I'll be joining him in a minute. But, you know, the thing for us is that, like I had said earlier, dogs are our family. And even though I had been asked many times by our behaviorists, the vet behaviorists, well, have you considered rehoming? And I'm not saying rehoming is bad. 
but I'm not going to consider rehoming until I've tried everything. It, unless he starts attacking me, because that's probably our border, our line, right? Yeah, a dog yeah. that literally is attacking me is probably not going to work for me. But a dog that um, is at least showing me a happy environment in my household, to me, is worth every effort. And so you say I'm wise. I'm only wise because I'm relentless and I don't give up. And I think that that's something important for someone who chooses to own a reactive dog. Is that a member of your family? Do you give up on family? It's okay if you do. That's not a problem. But it's also something that's really important is how much are you willing to give? Because I promise if you give a lot, you might see even just a little bit of result, but you'll get addicted to that result. That result, oh gosh, you need to have more of this. And every time I see him thrive, is like more motivation to keep moving forward for me. And I know, and the other thing, I guess the other tip I would give is to kind of accept that you're not going to have that dog that you might not have. I don't want to say you're not going, you might not have that dog that can walk in the farmer's market, you know, but that's okay. You know, and are you okay with that? So it's, I guess that would be my biggest thing is like, that's what makes, I guess, anyone wise is how much do you really want to learn about this? And how much do you want to put into it? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So Amy, if my listeners want to connect with you, can they follow you on the gram? Yeah. Um, my personal account is the Amy says, but my, Cooper and Miles have an IG account that I'm really bad at updating. So I apologize, but you can always reach me out on my personal and I would love to chat to anybody who wants even a tip advice, uh, someone to cry to because I will cry with you on that kind of person. So they can always feel free to reach out to me. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Sure thing. I had a blast. Sorry that Miles was a little chattier than I hoped. (laughs) Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to learn more about us, please check us out on Instagram at a good feeling underscore in co you can also find us on facebook at a good feeling dog training as well as our website agfdogtraining.com. dog